today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Yahweh describes the Israelites as a stiff-necked people. In the wake of their forming and worshiping the golden calf, God says he will no longer travel with them as they journey to the promised land, lest they anger him and he destroy them. God is just but also merciful. Despite his righteous indignation, he doesn't abandon them but sends an angel ahead of them as he had promised. The people mourn over God's judgment. Good morning. Today is January 9th, 2023, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. We give thanks to God for our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. They do great work for the kingdom. Well, folks, we're back after a refreshing and fulfilling 12 days of Christmas, and we've come into Epiphany Tide, a time when our attention turns from the infant Christ to the God-man Jesus, who grew in wisdom and stature and revealed himself to the world as God in the flesh come to rescue us from our sins. Well, it might be a brand new calendar year and a new church season, but we're still about a dozen chapters away from being done with Exodus. So we're going to continue that effort today as we again take up our Bibles and open them to chapter 33. But before we do that, believe it or not, today is my 100th episode as host of Thy Strong Word, and so I thought it would be nice to invite as our guest the Reverend Brady Finnern, president of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Finnern, as most of you know, was the host of Thy Strong Word until his brothers in Minnesota North voted him in as their district president. But KFUO couldn't let him go completely. He's now the host of Concord Matters, which you can hear on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Central right here on KFUO. President Finnern, welcome back to Thy Strong Word, this time as our honored guest. Thank you, uh, Pastor Boo. It is an honor to be here. Well, brother, how has DP life been treating you? <laughs> Certainly it is different than the parish. It, it is different. I, I explain it this way. The, 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 the work that is really fun is really fun, like a notch above what you have in ministry. For example, I'm always, not always, I'm usually present at an ordination of a new pastor, a commissioning of a, of a worker or a teacher or a DCE or our commissioned workers, or an installation of a new worker as well, or celebrations like a hundred. We had a 150th anniversary of one congregation that I was present for, and then some retirements of beloved pastors. I just recently, I was, I was able to uh, say a few words about the pastor who was my predecessor at the church I was at, uh, Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, as he retired at, from another parish, and to be able to speak about the foundation that that I served on, obviously the foundation of Christ, but his faithful proclamation and service of God's people for 17 years at the church I served. And, and just that that honor, that stuff is really fun. But as an ecclesiastical supervisor, is how we say it, is my job is to really oversee the, the faith and the doctrine and practice according to the scriptures and the Lutheran confessions of the whole district, which is 198 congregations, uh, eight schools, 19 preschools, and the like. And for that, well, it's a broken world, as you speak about here in Thy Strong Word. It's a broken world that needs Jesus. And so, therefore, we have a lot of sin. You have a lot of conflict and those things. So, 
as as much as those other realities are a notch above as far as fun and seeing the the work of God's kingdom, you also see the work of the of the flesh of the devil of the old Adam, um, the sin in our world, and it's kind of a notch lower. So you're able to to be with people some great times and also be with people through, through some tough times, which is why our Lord became broken for us. And that's the message I cling to every single day. So that, that, that I don't know if that makes, that's the difference I'm seeing in the parish yeah. right now. And uh, it's a lot of joy and I'm thankful that the Lord has called me here. You know, it kind of reminds me as your children grow up and they go into different stages of their life, people often look back and think fondly, oh, I wish my kids were still, you know, toddlers, or I remember <laughs> yeah. when my kids were, were uh, babies. But, you know, and when people ask me that question, I always just say, you know, it's it's different. And I almost don't necessarily long for the previous times. I just enjoy each time as it mm. comes. And it seems to me that that would be kind of how it is in ministry. You know, you're a parish pastor or you're a vicar, you're a seminarian, you're a parish pastor. Perhaps you serve on committees or you serve the Senate in various ways. Uh, in your case, you've become different president. But all of these are different ways to serve the Lord's church, and and they're different. Uh, but with that said, in our in our text, we earlier heard about how Moses's father-in-law Jethro gave him some advice on his leadership. Uh, do you have a Jethro in your life who's given you <laughs> advice? Perhaps your predecessor, maybe maybe somebody on the board. Well, I think I have many Jethros. How about that? Uh, first of all, my sure. father is a, was a, is a pastor. He's been serving since 1979. And so obviously he's one that I, I can't speak to all of it because technically I'm his ecclesiastical supervisor now. So I, I, I tell him to that's submit nice. from time that's to time. Right. You know? That's right. <laughs> Anyways, no, obviously my father is one that's my prayer warrior, I would say, and one that I can go to. Um, my, our predecessor um, here in Minnesota North, uh, uh, President uh, uh, Don Fonda was one that I'm able to bend his ear quite often, and he's another prayer warrior. And there's other uh, uh, district presidents and vice presidents, and obviously our own synod president, Matthew Harrison, are ones that they basically have said, if you contact us, we will set aside what we're going through, besides emergencies or something, and and address it. And so you definitely, it's a, it's a, a group that is there for one another. Um, the amount of people that's been overwhelming that say they're praying for me and available to me, including Pastor Boo um, here on Thy Strong Word. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those very overwhelming things. So, yes, there are many Jethro's that are available, starting with, as I always say, my, my dad is uh, Pastor Finner the Greater, and I am simply Pastor Finner the Lesser. So, Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, you know, I began my ministry in Minnesota North under uh, President uh, Fondau, and so it's kind of neat for me because, you know, I've known you for a while to now yep. see you in that Amen. position. I've also had an amazing uh, district president in Timothy Yaden, who is mm -hmm. now with the Lord, and so I do know there's a lot of great guys out there. Well, I tell you what, I, one last question before we get, because people might be going, okay, that's enough, get to the text, <laughs> but I, I do want to ask you a little bit about Concord Matters. A mutual friend of ours used to be the host of that show. Mm -hmm. um, his duties took him elsewhere, and you were able to take that slot, which keeps you in, in both worlds, not only as district president, and you've been freed up from not having to be here every day for thy strong word, but you still get to be on the radio and you still get to bless us. But tell us, especially those who haven't listened to Concord Matters, what's it about and why should they tune in? Well, it's a it's a once a week program, like you said, compared to Thy Strong Word, which is daily or five days a week. It is the the focus is the study of the Lutheran confessions. 
And the, 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 the point of it is the reason we have the Lutheran confessions, which were written, you know, throughout the 16th century is the scriptures are clear and we are able to be united around those scriptures. Um, and, and the confessions were written to make sure that we took everything in, in, in scripture and were able to communicate it, uh, what we believe, teach and confess with clarity. So Concord Matters is there to show, hey, these are not just something that were written 16th century and have no relevance for us today, but to say, you know what, we can be united around the scriptures. And here is a resource. Here is something that we confess to, to be able to say, yes, here's where we stand. Here is what is clear, which is Christ and him crucified and resurrected and ascended. And it's all filtered through that in these writings. And so we're starting simple as, 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 you, our listeners, know if you listen to me, I'm a simple guy. So we started with a small catechism, and that's been just a, a pure joy. Some new guest that I um, had never had on Thy Strong Word, some that I had on Thy Strong Word, that we had, I should say. And it's just very much so. It's an hour long, much like Thy Strong Word. We go through a part of the small catechism right now, and we're just going slowly through that so that we are able to say we are united in Christ according to God's Word that is found in these Lutheran confessions. And I'm humbled to be able to do it after Pastor Sean Smith, who's just a phenomenal teacher and going through that. And it's just a joy to have my foot still at KFUO as I dearly love the work and mission that they do and and learning. I mean, Pastor Boo, I've read the catechism many, many times. And then I come to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, never saw that before. I I think you can relate with that. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, as I lead Bible study, I'm always bringing things up that I have learned while hosting Thy strong word, oh, absolutely. And so, boy, they just think, man, this is a this is a bonus for us because our pastor is <laughs> getting a lot more education <laughs> on the way. And you know, and it's not just that too. I mean, when's the last time, in my experience, that I, you know, you studied chapter by chapter Exodus, or when's the last time you've taken up your small catechism and then been able to hear experienced pastors who also have set side a time aside to study it and bring that to you, really. What KFUO offers is absolutely an amazing ministry, and I hope people continue to take advantage of it and share it with their friends. I'm into that. I'm into that. So well, I'll tell you what, why don't we get into that ministry, though, which today is Exodus 33. And unfortunately, you know, for our first episode back after the start of the new year, after the 12 days of Christmas, wouldn't have been wonderful. It was just this wonderful, glory, gospel-filled, but it's not, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It is a text that contains some judgment. But of course, even hidden behind God's judgment is his love for us. That's what we're going to hear about today. But let's start off with prayer. And I'd like to invite you to uh, begin us with that. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we hear your word, we know your word is truth because it is in Christ that we know the truth, that no one has seen God, but yet God has been revealed to us in Christ As we come to this epiphany season, we are reminded that you are the light and that you have come to the world. This text uh, uh, points us to that light. Fix our eyes on Christ. May we able to see our sin, our our uh, the judgment that we deserve, but the judgment that was placed on Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen. All I can think about is Aaron standing there being confronted by Moses and saying that the idol just jumped out of the fire. Mm, It mm -hmm. is a ridiculous situation that (laughs) happened right before this, uh, the making of the golden calf. 
Would you maybe set the stage for our listeners who might, who've been enjoying Christmas music for a while and haven't had a chance to maybe bone up on what happened last time? Tell us uh, what what preceded our text today. Uh, the, it's very, the golden calf incident. It's very simple. Uh, they didn't trust God, and so they built their own idol. And it's very easy for us to look at it and go, what were they thinking until we actually look at, well, once again, the small catechism, the first commandment, which have just received. I mean, this wasn't that long ago in the whole spectrum of history. They received that. And the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods. You shall not make yourself a graven image. Um, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. They got anxious. They started trusting in something else. They build a golden calf. And before we get too judgmental on that, we, you know, Luther speaks about how our heart is an idol factory, meaning we might not have a golden calf that we set up in our rooms or in our homes or in the communities, but we have everything else that we will fear, love, and trust above God. So that happens. God finds out about it. Moses goes down. Uh, if you really want to watch a theatrical part of it, watch the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. That That's something that always is etched in my mind as I look at it. But but the problem was, it wasn't only that they 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 did not trust in the Lord, they did not repent, and therefore there was judgment. This is why for our family, uh, my kids are all in high school and junior high, it's great to go back to the, the kids' books. Um, uh, know the Bible Now is a resource with Concordia Publishing House that we've been reading through. And you read, for example, this true story in scripture, and we kind of end with, they didn't trust God, uh, they built a golden calf, and there was a problem, amen. And so it's like, wait, wait a second here, there's more to it. As you studied last time, it definitely had this point where, okay, who's going to believe in the Lord Yahweh? And then the sons of Levi's come and he basically says, now take out those 3,000 people who denied me. I mean, just think about that. That's not in the kids' books. That's not there. It's showing us that when, the, when, when we fall away from God, there must be wrath. And this wrath is something that we can't go to God and try to say, hey, my sin wasn't that bad. No, that sin deserves wrath. That sin is something that there must be uh, uh, consequences for this sin. And therefore, we see it right in front, not only in the destruction of 3,000 people, but also in verse 35, that he sends a plague upon them. And it says, I love it, because they made a calf, and it emphasizes, like you said, Aaron, the one that Aaron made. It's, it's right. like it's that little bit of a, he knew better, but yet he still did. These people knew better, but yet they still did. And we see the blood and it goes back to Cain and Abel, right? You can kind of, you can hear the blood almost screaming from the ground and it leaves us all on, hopefully, if you read it correctly, like I, I was just nailed to the ground when I read chapter 32 again, because I have that vision of a small kid story like oh that's terrible you know but no wait i'm the one who has a calf i need to repent and have a new year's resolution to say hey buddy it's time to live a new life because that blood is what i deserve people say you know it doesn't make sense and it really doesn't you know these are the people who witness god uh, get glory over the gods of egypt by sending plagues they watch them uh, you know, take them across the wilderness to defeat Pharaoh's army, to let them walk across the sea on dry ground. Time and again, they've seen this God's power. And then for Aaron to lift up and say, this is Yahweh, the God who led you out of Egypt, holding up something that they had made. Yeah, it was horrible. But then again, sin does not make sense. Theirs mm. doesn't. Ours doesn't. 
But there is a consequence to our sin. There was a consequence to their sin. And that's where we begin today with the first six verses. So we'll be in chapter 33 from the ESV. Here we go. Yahweh said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For Yahweh had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. All right, that's the end of this section. I got to say, brother, the first thing I notice is uh, a little bit of language, you know, so with me and my wife, you know, one of the kids gets in trouble, your son has done this, or your daughter has done this. God says, depart, go up from here, you and the people you brought out of the land of Egypt. Wait a minute, Yahweh, I thought you brought us out of the land of Egypt. I don't want to read too much into that, but boy, it sure stands out, doesn't it? God's like, you and your people get lost before, just get out of my sight. Of course, he's more holy than us as parents, but what's going on here? Well, and I tell you what, I would really encourage our listeners as you read Exodus 33 is to make sure we always follow the principle that Pastor Boo always emphasizes is you got to let scripture interpret scripture and let the clear passages help you with the, well, not so clear passages. And this is one of those examples where it's like, well, wait a second here, Exodus 3, he says, go to my people and let my people go. You know, this is, you know, I am is sending you and like, well, I'm not a good speaker. Okay, let Aaron do it. But still, yet it was basically he was emphasizing these are my people. You know, this is you go out there and, and lead them. They're my people. They let my people go. You know, it's kind of the, the language you think about with kids songs. And so we don't know, but it's clear that that God is kind is crabby with his people. He is not happy with them. He's not happy to be able to uh, to to say they're my people. And, and this is why throughout we don't just let this be the only example, especially throughout this whole chapter. You're going to see God almost kind of transition from, you know, like, well, I'm really crabby with them. That's, I think saying crabby is a little bit uh, uh, light for what he really felt <laughs> in this situation. Sure. But definitely you see the merciful, the mercy of God showing us that the seriousness of our sin, but then also showing the seriousness of his mercy. So he's definitely frustrated with them. He's, uh, um, I, you know, hey. Take them there. Uh, I do not want to go with you uh, kind of language, which is really crazy because other parts of Scripture don't speak that way. But I would say that God is is showing, I'm not happy with you right now. I, uh, You are a stiff-necked people, which really brings me to, to mind. I was like, what does that mean? And he gives that vision of like when I was a kid, we had a dog. And if the dog did not want to go the direction we wanted to go, it would stiffen up their neck. And they would not go that direction. And there's a point where as a kid, especially, you just would let go and say, you know what? I, you're not coming with me. You're staying here. 
And then the dog would sometimes repent and, and follow you or they just never would. And they were in this situation where they were just like that dog or calf or whatever it might be that would not listen. So God is showing that he can become anxious and frustrated with us. And that is something for us to remember. It is our sin that does that. It is our lack of faith and trust in him that does this. And that, well, this leads us back to Advent prior to the new year. Repent, repent, you brood of vipers, is what the Lord tells us. A brood of vipers, he calls his people. You know, people will say, well, doesn't God know that they're going to do this? Doesn't he from the foundation of the world know everything that's going to happen? And while all of that's true, I think when we ask those questions, we're trying to deflect upon the real issue. And the real issue is that God does not like sin. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. a truth. And we, we think of God because of his mercy and his forgiveness as this one who's like our buddy who overlooks sin or, you know, okay, it's fine. Jesus died for you. Don't worry about it. That is not the nature of God. The nature of God is that I don't even want to be around you because I can't be around sin lest I consume you. But it's not out of hatred or, or spite. It's out of love. He doesn't want to be in the presence of their sin lest they sin against him because he'll consume them. So he still provides for them. He sends the angel. And, of course, this eternal provision that he gives us through Jesus Christ. Uh, but we can't abuse that. We can't misuse that. And these people who have this covenant with God can't then turn around and say, well, we have this covenant with God. And we broke it. And it was reinforced. You know, but oh well. <laughs> but that's not that's not how God operates. And you talked about stiff-neckedness as this uh, idea of uh, looking at um, – oh, sorry. What am I trying to think of? Oh, uh, the stubbornness, right? The stiff-neckedness mm -hmm. is like the dog who's stubborn. Well, when I was growing up, we would go to some of these churches down south, and they would have altar calls. And at this one particular church, everybody's head is down, and the pastor's up front. This is not a Lutheran church for those who are listening. Uh the, the pastor is doing the altar call, right? Come forward, come forward, repent of your sins, you know, and then he would say something like, you know, nobody's looking, raise your hands if you need, if you have a particular sin you're struggling with. And so after about maybe five, 10 minutes of everybody's head bowed down into their laps and, and the pastor's getting frustrated because no one's coming up for the altar call. And I remember I'm like 13 years old. I remember him saying, you know, he was getting frustrated because no one's coming up. And he said, you are a stiff necked people. Mm. And I remember turning to my dad and said, yeah, because we've been praying for 10 minutes. That's why my head's so <laughs> stiff. But from his point of view, he's frustrated because people aren't turning from their sins. Now, regardless of the legitimacy of that entire process, right, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, we see here God who's looking upon the hearts of these people and he knows he does know that they are going to continue in this sin. And so he's giving them a warning that this is not how he wants them or us really to live. And in verse four, it, it really gathers, gathers us together that the people heard this and they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. Now, I, I, I don't know if you looked up much with this. I, I tried, and it obviously has to do with expensive clothing. Um, this goes into the understanding throughout Scripture of, you know, you're repenting in dust and ashes. Uh, this, 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 so the people heard this, you stiff-necked people, which, you know, we need to hear this. We need to preach this. 
clearly they heard about it, and 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 Moses preaches this. And the reality is they, yeah, you're right. And so they take off their ornaments, meaning that they're showing, you know what, you're right. This goes back to Jonah, repent. They repented. Um, and therefore, they strip themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So this law preaching that we think, well, that's not very effective. That won't work. It worked. Why? Because it was God's word. Yeah. And, and, it, right. and it worked. Now, just a reminder, we, you know, when we talk about this in our own lives, that does not change the hearts for people to then rest on Jesus. You need the gospel. And so there definitely is this throughout this whole meeting and this whole text where if we do not have Christ it, it, with the Christ goggles, as I used to say on thy strong word, it really kind of leaves you with dust and ashes, right? This leaves you at Ash Wednesday with, without any hope for resurrection. And this is where I felt very much so reading these first six verses, especially, is that, wow, um, they repented. I need to repent. And therefore, they're moving forward, not with necessarily <laughs> hope uh, at this point. If we left at verse six, I mean, think about that. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Thanks be to God. Oh, I'm <laughs> not sure if, I'm, sure if I'm thankful here. But it, it shows us this wrath of God that was was very much so right in front of their eyes. They knew, holy cow, if we don't do something, this is going to be a problem. But it also leads us, this is why we want to have Christ in the center of this, because this does not leave us with hope, but more of looking at ourselves. Well, this section ends with them being very remorseful. Mm. When they talk about the ornaments, taking off all your jewelry, I'm reminded of Mr. T. Right, you know, Mister T. <laughs> Absolutely, right, so I'm in. There is, there is an. Um, I don't know how uh, true this story is, but when I was growing up, I heard a story of Mister T. And when you picture him in your head, you picture him with all these gold chains around his neck, just tons and tons of chains. It was his image, his copyright image. And then uh, at some point, Mister T, uh, according to this story, came to Christ, became a Christian, and he quit wearing the jewelry later in his life as a sign of humility before God. And I, I think of that in this taking off your ornaments, because it's not just like, oh, let's take them off. But they, as you pointed out, they, they took them off from then, them onward. Mm. And then and maybe a little way from Mr. T and more towards Egypt, where did they get these things? They got them from the Egyptians. That's where they came from. And so if you're wearing upon your ears and around your neck these jewels, these gold from Egypt, and it reminds you of two things. It reminds you of God releasing you from slavery to the Egyptians, which is a good thought, but then it's a constant reminder of how you took those very same things off and made a golden calf out of them. Mm. Now, obviously, mm. these, were, these were spared, but these, the leftover jewelry is a constant reminder of your sin. And so they took them off. And that is, as you said, a symbol of their humility going forward. And thank God the text doesn't end there because it would end for them and for us in a pretty miserable place. But at least for a moment, that's where they are, hmm. completely stripped of everything that they could have that might make themselves feel uh, important and naked before God, their creator. And may the Lord do the same to us. Absolutely. I tell you what, why don't we take just a few minutes to reflect on this? Why don't we leave ourselves in this moment of guilt and shame while we listen to uh, our to our sponsors? So folks at home, we're going to take a break. 
But when we come back, Pastor Fennern and I will keep going with Exodus chapter 33. I promise we'll bring you out of this, but you'll have to wait. So we'll see you on the other side. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Brady Finner, president of the Minnesota North District and host of Concord Matters on KFUL. Before we jump back into the text, I want to remind you at home that if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can direct them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Well, now, Pastor Finner, before the break, we were talking about, well, just sin in general and the command that God had given his people to leave Sinai without him, but he would send an angel ahead of them. Now, we are going a little further now. Now, verses 7 through 11 is the next section, and this speaks of the tent of meeting. Let's hear those verses. Here we go. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought Yahweh would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and Yahweh would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Okay, we'll stop there. Uh, this tent of meeting is an interesting situation because we have here Moses going in, and we have a couple elements that stand out to me. One, he's talking to God face to face, and I have that question about, you know, how can he see God and live? Uh, we have also the situation of the pillar of cloud coming down, which is this great presence of God, and all the people standing at their tents worshiping. Uh, it's a very, it's I guess, I guess to be honest, it's hard to get in my mind what's going on here. And I have the same struggles because, first of all, we have to make that distinction of what would be the tabernacle, which would be built later, the temple, which would be built even later, and and the tent of meeting. Right now, we know very bare bones about the tent of meeting. And actually, these verses is very uh, uh, catechetical, if you will. It's very simple teaching where it just says, Moses used, uh, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. I mean, he's, it's wonderful when Moses really breaks it down for the simpletons like ourselves and just says he goes out there and, and it's outside the camp, which by the way, um, uh, outside of the city, uh, Christ, all this just, I mean, I, I don't want to go to Jesus too quickly, but I just couldn't help myself with that one. Um, and he, Moses would go out there 
And that's when the pillar of cloud would descend and he was in the presence of God. And people knew that he was in the presence of God and everyone who sought the Lord would go out. So this is a very simple reality of God using means to be with his people, uh, using this tent and Moses to come to him to give him his word. And then he would share that word with God's people. And, and that's something for us to always remember is uh, those who seek the Lord, where should you go? To the presence of God, which is in the word and the sacraments. It's very, it's, it's, it's really that simple. I want to see the Lord. I want to be with the Lord. Where should I go? Where the word is preached and the sacraments are administered. And that's very clear in this text for us. And, and just a good reminder for me, where should I go? Um, what should I do? Where, you know, where do I want to be with God? In his word is how we would see it. At the same time, it's confusing. And I want your input on this too, uh, Pastor Phil, because you are Dr. Phil Boo, so you must obviously know these answers. Um, verse 11, <laughs> it does say that he spoke to him face to face. And later on, it says, um, verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So I'm going to go with my theory, um, what I my study, and I'm going to hear from the good doctor here this morning, is it verse 11, it appears from what I studied, is that the language in the Hebrew and the language that is there is not necessarily saying that there was face to face, literally that he saw his face, but this was an intimate um, speaking. And you see this in verses 12 all the way through 23, that they are obviously speaking to one another. There's a there's a there's an intercessory opportunity that Moses has, as he has numerous times. But this not saying they were literally face to face, but it was more of an intimate setting. And later on, he's basically saying, but you cannot see me face to face. So how that works, how that fits, boy, that's that's very difficult. But that's a, a small distinction that I read. Pastor, what do you have? Well, you know, I think you're right when you point out that the face-to-face is a colloquial, uh, you know, it's a phrase. Mm, um, nice. It's just something that's used to describe, as you would put it, an intimate relationship. Kind of like we think of the koinonia that we have with Christ in the sacrament, right? Mm-hmm. We are in an intimate relationship with God whereby we receive his true body and blood in the sacrament. In the same way, Moses here is in an intimate relationship with the Lord in which he receives from God his word. And the idea of like as a man speaks to his friend, we have to remember that in the ancient Far East, you know, it would be uh, less than honorable for you to look in the eyes of a king. You think of even in the Middle Ages mm-hmm. when a king or a queen would come and well, what does everybody do? They all bow their head to the ground, you know, lest they look at him in the eyes or her in the eyes. Uh, when the when the pope is on the scene, faithful Catholics will approach him prostrate so that they don't look right at him. Um, I mean, you know, things have changed a little bit in terms of these ways, these etiquette ways that we interact with people. But at the same time, you know, the idea that that Moses is going to look at God in the face, which is what we're getting the vision of here, is to give us an indicator of his relationship with the Lord that was different than everybody else's. No one else would dare to look at the Lord in the face. So we can take this back all the way to when the people were afraid to even hear from God as Moses went up the mountain for the very first time. So they say, Moses, we'll hear from you, but we don't want to hear from Yahweh because we're afraid. Now we fast forward and we get a description of Moses who goes and he hangs out with God anytime he wants. 
And so this gives us this amazing relationship. So who are you going to trust then? Are you going to trust the 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 other nations? Are you going to trust uh, your own feelings? Are you going to uh, even trust the elder in your community over the guy who hangs out with Yahweh? Mm. So I do think that these are colloquialisms that are just giving us this impression that, you know, Moses has access to God that no one else has. And in the restriction that we see here, that is only Moses can access God, you know, in this law, essentially, right? Because we're the ones who, if we were among the regular people, couldn't have the same access except through Moses. Even that reminds us that today things are different. Hmm. We have direct access with God. We can go to God anytime we want because Jesus is our intercessor. We don't need uh, a Moses because we have Christ. And so you want to talk to God? You can talk to him face to face. You want to have an intimate relationship with God? Go and receive his sacraments. You want to hang out with God? Open up his word. He's going to talk to you like like a friend would talk to you. And I think all of that points forward to, of course, uh, our relationship with him today. In verse 11, as you said that so uh, so beautifully, is it says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I mean, it points us right away to John 15. I have called you friends for all that I've heard from, for all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. So there's this language continuously that that points us forward. As I as I mentioned, the blood that was shed before, it just points us, uh, has to point us to the blood of Jesus because if it's only our blood, it's never going to be anything. But here, it once again points us to Christ, Christ and Moses and that relationship with God points us to our relationship with God through Christ that he will call us friend um, and not like Jesus is my buddy kind of language you use today, but that he speaks to us as a dear father listens to his dear children and as a dear father speaks to his dear children, bringing us back, of course, to the small catechism. So it it, it shows us, yeah, who are you going to listen to? The guy who's hanging out with Yahweh, the Lord. Um, who, where do you seek the Lord? Well, the tent of meeting. Uh, why that? And then the tabernacle, then the temple, then Jesus? Um, I don't know. That's just how God did it. And it shows us that God uses means to meet with his people. And that's what he used in this particular case in a beautiful way, showing his mercy is sufficient and his grace is sufficient as well. Zooming out from the text a little bit, though, we notice that verses 7 through 11 fall in between the revelation that God is no longer going to walk with his people and mm. Moses's intercession on behalf of the people, which follows. Right. So why is it there? I mean, that's another question. Why are we getting this picture into Moses's relationship with Yahweh right here in the middle of this narrative where the people are being judged and they're having to go at it now guarded by an angel, which is certainly sufficient but God himself has, at least in part, removed his presence from them. Well, I boy, that's a good question that, uh, well, I think a good professor, uh, you know, like uh, from the seminary or something, we should have them on to for, for surely answer that question, because I don't really know, but it does show us that Moses is unique in this relationship and that God, well, once again, shows his mercy that not only Will he come to his people? But then also he allows them, Moses in this case, to come to him and say, hey, let me intercede for the people, 
which just once again shows us the God of all creation, the God who could destroy us in a moment, the God whose wrath um, would we deserve still allowed his people uh, to come. He, he came to his people, even though he was crabby with them. Um, and he allowed Moses to intercede, much like, as we know from Hebrews, Jesus is our intercessor still today. Once again, point back and forth, Moses as a type of Christ that just, fl- just you know, puts us right into our gracious God in Christ. Yeah, I, I think so too. As I'm thinking about what you're saying, I would say that this little section is an important bridge between these two texts because we want to know more that Moses, when he intercedes in the next verses, that he has, I guess, standing upon which right. to intercede. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the average even elder or chief of the section where they are living in all of these the way they have their society set out. You know, they don't necessarily even have the standing. You know, they they could say, "Well, I know so and so who knows so and so who knows the son of Aaron, and I can get something done for you." And then here's Moses who says, "Yeah, you know, I I talk to God face to face." So Moses is going to use that relationship to intercede on behalf of the people. And I think what you pointed out is the answer, or at least a good enough answer, as anyone would need, and that is it points to the intersection. Of Christ, right? Um, anything else before we get to that intercession? Well, before we read those texts, you know, I really don't. I just find it interesting. Excuse me, I did that. You know how we do that? We'll say, "No, I don't have anything," and then we talk for five minutes. Yeah, Anyways, right. No, uh, I don't verse... have anything else. Here's something else. <laughs> verse eleven, when it says, uh, "When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, mm-hmm. a young man, would not depart from the tent." It's a, why is it there? I don't know. It definitely shows us that Joshua, it's almost like setting the stage for that Joshua would take over from Moses, that he had that special uh, relationship, if you will, uh, connection with it. He was a young man, clearly at this point, um, but that he would stay in the tent, uh, that, that, that he, there was a law that needed to be fulfilled. He needed to be there, fulfill the law, whatever it might be. And this at first introduction to Joshua, Yeshua, um, who is part of this game, who's very important into the future. So I just found, I found that very interesting, that little tidbit in verse 11. No, that is interesting. We we get a few insights into how, I guess, the governance is, is all put mm-hmm. together over the last couple chapters, and that is with the revelation of Joshua. He also ascended with Moses uh, away from the elders and as he went up into the flame, now he didn't go as far as Moses, but he did right. go farther than others. And we see him as his right-hand man. One thing that, speaking of questions that I don't necessarily have the answer to, I always wondered why this wasn't Aaron. I mean, I know Aaron has right. his own roles. So it seems like Joshua is the predecessor to, I mean, sorry, the successor to Moses. And he's almost like a, almost like a vicar being trained up in the role. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But again, we have very little about that. Uh, we just know that in well the book of Joshua, he ends up taking over for for Moses. That's it. Let's uh, let's move on. This is, I'm just going to read verses 12 through 23. And of course, we can go back if we need to. Here we go. Moses said to Yahweh, "See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me." Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. 
Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And Yahweh said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses goes up, and, and I think this is why it's important to note at the very beginning of the chapter where he says, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up uh-huh. out of the land of Egypt. Because now Moses goes to God and says, my people, they're your people. <laughs> maybe, maybe not in that tone, but he does remind God, not that he needs reminding, but he reminds him. Or actually, you know what? Let me rephrase it this way. Moses proclaims to Yahweh that Moses remembers that God has set them apart. And of course, this brings to God's remembrance the the covenant that's been made. Mm -hmm. And he seems to acquiesce a little bit, which, you know, is kind of how God works. Sometimes, you know, you think, well, God changes his mind left and right. Uh, Well, also, sometimes God is using us to come to the conclusions that he he knows that he's going to have done all the time. But I want to hear from you. What's going on here? Well, we definitely see that 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 the personal uh, the the uh, call it the the personalness of God, if I can say it this way. That first of all, that you see his mercy that he's even allowing Moses to speak to him. Secondly, what God reveals, what he does, changes um, because he says. Going the angel, I'm not going with you. And here he allows Moses to come with him. Does he change his mind? What's happening? We don't really know. God knows everything, and we're going to leave that in his hands. But he definitely fully shows his grace upon people. Verse 18 Moses asks something that he does not want to ask. Moses says, Please show me your glory. There's various songs that say that um, I want to see your glory, and I remember singing that. Go, oh, that's pretty good. I do want to see God's glory, and of course, I probably have the presupposition of seeing God's glory in Christ and all of this. But you don't want to ask that because if you ask God's glory, it's not it's not good. So if you you know are filtering a song or people saying like, what do you mean by that? Because if you want to see God's glory outside of Christ, this is not going to end well for you because (laughs) he's holy and we are not. And so here, first of all, he allows Moses to come to him and says, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. Um, So these are your people, right? Um, And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest, which once again points us to Jesus, Matthew 11, 28, um, come unto me, our weary and heaven laden, I will give you rest. And so Moses is like, oh my gosh, this is great. 
um, God is with us. He's going to be with us. Show me your glory. And God's like, no, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to do that for you. Because once again, it's like as a parent, you want to make sure that you are gracious and you are patient. But when the child is about to go over the cliff, they need to be stopped. And that's what he says. You can't do that because you will not live. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm still going to be gracious with you. My glory will be with you. My presence will be with you. I will give you a safe spot in the cleft of the rock and you will cover it and I will pass by and you will still be in my presence by seeing my back. And what I don't really know what that means. Um, you know, some people I've heard kind of in probably more uh, just trying to play with the text a little bit, but, you know, kind of like we are able to follow Jesus, you know, kind of understanding. Um, but ultimately his grace is showing, Hey, I'm going to make sure that you, that I can be with you and do that in a gracious way points us to Jesus. But God shows us once again, that is he crabby with us? Absolutely. Is he more gracious with us than, than he is with that? Then yes, as we see throughout this text and throughout the whole Bible, that God is the one who remembers us by name. And he's the one who calls us his own. When you say that Moses asks a question that he doesn't want to ask, um, maybe maybe phrased as maybe a question he knows he shouldn't ask or should know he shouldn't ask. <laughs> right, there you go. Because it brings to my mind, uh, we would never pray. And if you have prayed this, be careful. We would never pray, Lord, just give me what I deserve. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, true. that would be the worst thing that we could ever pray and mean it because – God's mercy is shown forth in giving us the exact opposite of what we deserve. It's shown forth in his justice by taking out what we deserve on himself through Christ. And so, yeah, him to say, I know good and well that no man can see you and live. I talk to you face to face or in the manner of a friend that would talk face to face, but I haven't seen you. And we think of them when they went up the mountain and they see God and he's appearing on the sapphire stone, like in the throne room. And it's like, did they see him face to face there? Because it kind of gives that impression. Is God giving them permission to see him face to face in this one instance? Or, or is he showing them a vision of himself? But regardless, Moses isn't waiting for God to offer as, as happened in that situation. Rather, he's taking into his own initiative. You know, I, you've given me this great relationship with you. I want more. I want more, 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 more. And so if you take it that way, it's also a little bit on the sinful side too because Moses has been appealing based on God's word so far, which makes sense. You've told me that I've found favor in your sight. So if that's true, you know, hear what I have to say. You've told us that we're your people. If that's true, then continue to protect us. And then out of nowhere, it's like, give me what I deserve, right? We're friends. We're buddies. I want, I want a, a bigger relationship with you. Now, I think that's a completely different way of looking at it than what you said. And I'm not really, I guess, giving credence to one or the other. I'm just trying to look at all the different ways because, because we, I think it's just hard to understand. And and well, the backside right. of God issue, which you uh, almost talked about, is interesting too, <laughs> because the word here, of course, can be used for someone's rear end or backside as they're walking away. And I've heard people make a lot of hay over that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how appropriate that is, but the point is that God uh, gives us just, uh, I guess, the just a, a hint of his glory, or at least Moses in this instance, and we have such a more full uh, experience of his glory in the word and sacrament, and even that is just a smidgen of God's true glory. 
And it shows us how much we want to be in God's presence. So Moses comes to him and basically says, be with us. And it reminds us of there's people in our lives that we want to have with us through anything, right? So if, if I were going to the hospital, I want my bride there. Um, or if, if my wife's not available, my children there. I want someone there that I know. I want them there. And that's happened. And my appendix out, of course, you know, I wanted my wife there. I wanted someone there that I knew cared about me. We want that person's presence and how much Moses is basically pleading, be with us. And then, and then God says, I'll be there. And this points us again to that, that need we all have. We want to be in God's presence. And that's why, like you said, he he says, okay, I'll be there. And then he says, okay, I want the full meal deal. I want all your glory too. You know, it's just kind of, we just keep going and going and going. But it also points us to Christ. And and when we just finish the Advent season and into Christmas, you know, it begins the book of Matthew with, his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. It ends the book of Matthew with, therefore I'll be with you to the very end of the age. It shows us this need to have the presence of those whom we love, and even more so, we want to be in God's presence. And that's what God provides, but he does it in an appropriate way. He does so in love. He does so, obviously, in the fullness of Christ who dwelt among us. The word became flesh, and he shows us that he gives grace upon grace upon grace. And that's why I find so fascinating about this particular text, which, you know what? What a joy it was to go back into Exodus this morning um, because it is so full of grace. You're able to see God who gets crabby, but you're also to see a gracious God and points us, just throws us into the arms of Christ, understanding that, uh, that he is with his people, that he is with you, and that he will not leave us. Even even giving us an opportunity to be protected. You know, the cleft of the rock. That's something I, I I would love to do more of a study on that at some point and maybe maybe in the future. But it definitely shows us once again the full grace that our Lord gives in this text. Well, brother, we're here towards the end of our time together, but with the just few minutes remaining, I'd like to give them all to you. You've you've taken us all the way to Christ in the glory, and I and I, that's wonderful. I'm going to make you uh, say more about that because I want to leave the people with that thought. Right? We have this cleft of the rock, rock of ages. We think of and it connects mm. it to Christ. Uh, that'd be a great uh, a great study on that hymn, in addition to the concept that you're talking about. And then what happens next with him taking away his hand and all of that actually happens in the next chapter. So you guys will have to turn tune in tomorrow to hear how that goes down. But ultimately, God's mercy is shown uh, in this passage and it continues to be shown throughout Exodus, throughout the whole Bible. You know, the scriptures are really a story of how God continues to keep his promises despite our uh, repetitive uh, falling into sin. And yet God is merciful. He's gracious. Uh, even to us sinners. So uh, last few minutes, they're all yours. I'll break it down this way. There's a, a picture that I've seen, and it has a, a person at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, you and I, when we look at Jesus, the first reality is you realize that my sin put him there. His love kept him there, but my sin put him there. At the same time, you look at it, and the comfort is fully that you look at the cross and you say, what sin did he not die for? And humbly, we say he died for them all. But this picture shows from the side view of this that there's like this fire and 
and basically like an explosion looked like it was coming and the person had their arms up covering their face and and that and, and but it stops at the cross and this shows us the wrath that we see in Exodus 22 and we see the the wrath that should be upon his people throughout the book of the rest of chapter 33 but we see that gracious God who has that in mind the cross that would come that wrath would not be ours and Romans chapter 5 he's and he says but God shows his love in us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That is where we're able to see the fullness of the potential wrath and the fullness of his grace as we see him not giving exactly what we're asking for, but saying, Lord, I will give you what you need. I will get, I will, I will take what you deserve upon myself. And we're able to see Christ's fingerprints all throughout this chapter and that cleft of the rock. And that's why I want to end it in this way. The rock of ages, which is hymn number 761 in our hymnal. And it just, I, I never thought of it connected with Exodus 33 until now. And I will read it and end our time this way. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath, save from wrath, and make me pure. How can we not <laughs> find comfort in Exodus in light of the cross through those powerful words from this hymn? Thanks be to A God. Amen to that. Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Brady Finnern, president of the Minnesota North District and host of Concord Matters on KFUO, which you can catch on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Central. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show for my 100th episode. <laughs> well, congratulations on that <laughs> and God's blessings to you and all of our guests. Tomorrow, folks, when we turn the page to chapter 34, we'll hear more about what happens next. Moses broke that first set of tablets containing the commandments, and now God will create a new set. Hear how this, and God renews his covenant with the people, despite their sins, takes place. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong hands.